Welcome to the Faith, Church and Disability podcast. I'm Geraldine, a trustee on the CBM New Zealand board. At Christian Blind Mission, because we fight to end the cycle of poverty and disability, we're glad to be teaming up with the Baptist NZ podcast network to produce this podcast series. Find us online at cbmnz.org.nz and baptist.nz podcasts. We hope you find this episode inspiring. Murray Sheard here, CEO of CBM, Christian Blind Mission, and today I'm really privileged to be talking to Maya Whitaker, and I've been instructed that Maya is the right pronunciation of your name, is that right, Maya? Yes, you are correct. Thanks, Murray. Great. Well, welcome so much. Um, in previous podcasts, we've spoken with people with disabilities, and also uh, to someone who's uh, children had profound disabilities, and but Maya, you're, you aren't in that category. And what we would what we would be great to do is to have a good deep dive into theological questions around disability. And and I note, of course, that you know people with disabilities obviously do this very much from the inside, and there there is so much um, thinking and questioning about God that comes from the, from the lived experience. But I'm keen to understand, especially. What what is your interest? What what uh, was the thing that really sparked your interest in issues around disability? Given that you are not someone with a disability yourself. Yeah, I'm I'm quite unusual as a uh, disability theologian, uh, and having really kind of you know wrestled with this as being I don't have a disability, I don't have a child with a disability, but. My interest in it was really sparked initially by uh, a preoccupation around the body. So my initial background is as an anatomist and then kind of wrestling mm-hmm. with the body and how important it is and what does it mean for the body to persist in the new creation. So thinking about the resurrection. And I was honestly just reading some uh, journal article and I came across this idea that some people with disabilities have said that they expect to retain some element of their disability in their resurrection body. I know my interest was piqued mm. and I just started, you know, I'm quite curious. So I explored this a little bit more and ended up doing um, yeah, some substantial <laughs> doctoral research on it. And it was really for me that the way that it opens up ways to think about what it means to be human, what it means to flourish and what it means for us to be people together who are imaging Christ and, the way I think particularly that it's addressed some of the the cultural impetus towards and the urge towards, in culture and in my own heart, to be honest, towards, you know, being perfect and being good at things and all of that, that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. But uh, so that's kind of the academic side of it. But then at the same time, uh, being a pastor and, you know, pastoring a church that had people with disabilities in it, considering what it was for me to genuinely relate to those people as friends uh, that's really been the for me the growth point I think which is so significant. Yeah, yeah, I know. Um, yeah, with with something as, as large as a, as a PhD, often it is something like an, an interest that was sparked by an experience or an or an insight. But then you have to commit those years to it. Yeah. Uh, so what has been what has been some of the things that have really got you more and more interested, and in some maybe some of the insights from there. 
Yeah, so for me, it was really wrestling with how important the body is to personal identity. So thinking that there are some features of my body that are so crucial to who I am, that they would have to stay the same for me to still be me, and how that continuity of identity would go through the transformation of resurrection. And scriptures, it's pretty vague, to be honest, about what the resurrection body is going to be like. I think you can summarize it when going to be kind of the same and kind of different. There's continuity and discontinuity. But I was really captured by these um, these things I was reading from people with disabilities, conversations with friends who said, yeah, I, I fully expect to still have cerebral palsy in the new mm-hmm. creation. I just don't think it will be uh, causing me pain anymore. Mm-hmm. I'll, you know, I'll be able to get around. Everyone will be patient enough to listen to me speak yep. with my speech impediment. I don't think that's what has to be corrected. And and for me, that was just like a uh, just a mind expanding way of thinking about the way that we can flourish within the experience of weakness and limitation. Wow. And as someone who personally, you know, tends towards being a bit of perfectionist and, you know, living up to certain standards and, and feeling that expectation, you know, culturally and in lots of different ways, I think to sit with that idea like, oh, maybe maybe my weakness is not a problem that God mm. feels like he needs to correct in some way. So really it kind of complexifying some of those questions around what it is to be human, what a perfect body looks like. Uh, and wrestling with these kind of theologies of limitation in, in a way that's really pushing against those cultural values around progress and power and mastery and all of that stuff that, that Western modernity in particular tells us is the most important thing uh, about, mm. about what it is to be in the world. And that's what the good life looks like, thinking the good life could look like having limitations and actually mm. that could lead me into deeper community and I could experience God in those. Mm. Yes. So many things to unpack there. Uh, and I was picking up on your very last comment there um, that sometimes, and this is often our experience, right, that that it is our things that we often consider weaknesses or things where we're less than perfect, which has allowed not only our engagement with God, but also our engagement with other people. And so those are uh, often community-building traits or experiences or ways of being, which allows a kind of development of, of being human that would maybe not happen if if we were um, perfect and we didn't have to explore those together. Yeah, absolutely. It causes us to, well, I think it causes us to, to face the reality of, of how things actually are. We are yeah. dependent creatures. We are limited And for a period of our lives, we can often fool ourselves that we're not, you know, when you're young and if you're healthy and you're strong and yeah, I'm fine. I'm doing all right by myself. I'm, you know, making my way in the world, but inevitably experiences come along, whether that's calamity or circumstance or just you're lucky enough to be become old enough that you're now not able to take care of yourself in the same way. And you need a community around you to do that. I think that reveals the nature of what it is to be human, which is to be dependent. We're creatures, mm-hmm. and and I'm you know I'm a great believer in in trying to live according to the design that we have within us. That's really what flourishing looks like. I think when we're able to live out of that. Mm-hmm. But I think for me, like the big personal challenge was, and still is, to be honest. Uh, I love the ideas around limitation and weakness, but working them out for me personally, like oh, such a challenge. Uh, often thinking, you know, as, as a, a leader in ministry, 
um, okay, it's all right for other people in my community for us to go, yes, that person needs our help. We're going to get around them and support them and all of that. But it's different for me as the leader. Mm. I've got to present that I've got it all together. Mm. But really going on a journey of recognising that 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 does nothing for my community to do that, to pretend, because it is always a pretense, isn't it? Uh, That actually community is built and belonging is built when we are open about that kind of thing. And Mm -hmm. so I really do believe that, particularly thinking about church communities, the way that we we include and uh, allow uh, invite people with disabilities into a, a deep sense of belonging, it, it has overflows into all the ways that, that all people live. Um, mm. Yeah, it, out of that dependence and into deeper community. Yeah, sure. Oh, look, that's that's fascinating. Um, so I want to turn give a bit more attention to that whole question of of our, our life together here and now, and how yeah how disability is maybe been something that's helped help you and but has also helped others focus on that whole question of 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 humanity but there's one thing i just want to go go right back to you said immediately earlier on in your your phd study that question of what stays in the resurrection body um and yeah that really is i guess a question of, of identity isn't it like we normally we often think of the thing that stays is actually not bodily it's mm. it's this idea maybe of and for for some people, a disembodied kind of soul, which is almost like a serial number, where God picks it up and that's the thing that mm. that carries on, whereas the rest of us doesn't. Um, but if we take seriously the idea of the resurrection body, then then asking that question of yeah, what what am I so attached to in the sense of this forms my identity? What what is that? Um, mm. And you've said that some people just. Dis- disabilities have said that they believe that their disability will be part of that but is there is there thinking around in the in the theological circles about what's the i guess the principles for deciding what is part of that identity and and not Um, does it operate on that level yeah yeah so this is yeah i spent a lot of time far too long thinking about this (laughs) uh and i think it's it is really important that we hold to our hope is in the resurrection of the body and for me, this was a little bit of a, uh, sadly, a little bit of a surprise. I, mm. I've, I've been in church since I was tiny, uh, but I was yeah, doing this um, study and working in, um, in, in, in anatomy. And I was really wrestling with often some of the, just the things I was hearing in my church circles around this kind of idea of the soul, that's the real you. And when you die, your body's going to be you know, buried or cremated in your soul, that, that'll live forever with God. And that just didn't fit with all of the science that I was learning, I thought, oh gosh, something's off here. And then, you know, pretty quickly go like, oh no, no, the resurrection of the body, this is this is what it's all about. And there's just a real congruence between what faith says and um, what the Christian faith says, what the scriptures mm. say, and what science says about what it is to be a human, which is, you know, it was very reassuring uh, to me. And so when it comes to thinking about where that continuity and where the discontinuity is going to be. So like I said, the resurrection body, it's going to be kind of the same, kind of different. And and we know that because of the evidence that we have of the only body that has been truly mm. resurrected, which is Jesus. So the gospel accounts in particular, and he's, he's kind of the same. People recognize him. He can eat. He's, he invites people to touch him to prove that he's embodied. But he's also kind of the different. Uh, sometimes people don't recognize him. He appears to be able to walk through walls and he's got these wounds, but he says, hey, Thomas, stick your hand in here, which, so obviously Mm -hmm. they're not painful. There's been 
transformation. But where does where is the point of transformation? And so, yeah, I spent a fair bit of time thinking around this this idea of identity defining features. What are these mm. things that we would say? Oh, this has got to be the same if I'm still to be me. And and I think we need to not just think about bodies. We've got to think about like psychological. Think about relationships. Think about narrative identity in particular, mm-hmm. the stories of our life. Like, what are the things that we've got to got to remember and and carry with us? It's not going to be uh, D- Dallas Willard uses this term pejoratively. It's it's not going to be a cosmic car wash, and I just come out <laughs> somehow cleaned, and and I'm just here, and I'm well, I'm not really me anymore. You know, the hope we've got is actually mm-hmm. for a deeply personal salvation. It's still us mm-hmm. with our particularity, but there has mm-hmm. been transformation. Uh, you know, God has made all things new. And so I would be, um, I think it's really important to hear and understand that I'm, I'm not saying that we somehow get to decide, you know, that I expect that I'm still going to have this and this and this about me and and it's up to me. You know, I would want to say that, um, as Paul writes in Colossians, that our real lives are hidden with Christ and God and there's there's no, like, who I truly am is, is in Christ and God knows me better than I know myself and And so I expect that in some sense, you know, in in the resurrection body, I'll go, oh, yeah, this is who I truly am. And there might Mm -hmm. be elements of surprise to that, but it'll be like a deep knowing. Mm -hmm. But of course, you know, I'm probably going to have the best intuitions about the things that are identity defining for me. And other people will have the best intuitions for themselves rather than me saying for them. And so while some people with disability would say, yes, I expect to retain this element of disability in my body. Uh, the term I would use is diverse embodiment, which is a, mm-hmm. uh, a term that Manny Cox um, uh, shared with me, which I think is really helpful. So I'm gonna, I, th- I expect to retain that diverse embodiment without the, mm-hmm. the social experience of disability or the physical experience of impairment. So I'm not, there's no stigma, there's no shame, pain, and, and that kind of thing are, are not continuous. But mm-hmm. other people with disability, depending on how it's, how identity forming it is, it's probably less likely that they would retain it, I think. Um, and I think that comes down to particularly how important is it to your story, mm, how long you've sure. had it, how all of those kinds of things and how you relate to it. But I'm expecting to be surprised in some ways. Yeah, no, that's great. I, I was just thinking as you're talking, if, you know, if I woke up one morning and found that I had blue eyes instead of kind of brownie hazel eyes, I would probably be shocked, be shocked for a while, but I probably wouldn't be thinking in the end, oh, no, that's not me anymore. Right. It's uh, This is not actually as deep to my identity. Uh, I had just assumed because it's it's what I've always had. But for someone with a disability, of course, there's a, there's a more crunchiness to that question. Um, mm. And so you have heard uh, from people who have said, yes. yes, I actually think this should be maintained. In yeah, other words, yeah. God didn't make a mistake, right? Mm. Yeah, that's really crucial. Yeah, the, the metaphor that I use by example is, um, so my mother was left-handed and my fa- uh, my husband is left-handed. So for my mother, being left-handed was a really big part of her identity, the way she conceived mm. of herself. It was just kind of part of her upbringing uh, in a Norwegian environment, the, the time and craft, how important that was. Whereas for my husband, like it's take it or leave it, like it's not really, doesn't make a difference. So it's the same embodied feature but how it is connected with her understanding of herself or his understanding of himself in that story, quite different. And that comes as to the, the forming of identity over time and relationship with others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And if this kind of theology was, I guess, taken over or more recognized into churches, uh, maybe the the experience of people with disabilities would be a little different. Um, mm. Should we talk a little bit about how the experience in church and theology hasn't always been great? I, in previous discussions with people with disabilities on these podcasts, I've often found some pretty pretty awful stories, mm. uh, inappropriate prayer. Mm. Um, there's a great book, My Body is Not a Prayer Request. Yeah, it's a good um, one. Yeah, and but also things like you know silencing of the noise or removing a person with severe intellectual disabilities, um, and of course we have, we know that this is not new, right? So in Jesus' time was it his son sin or his parents' sin that that caused this uh, to to a man who was blind? And yet, even though Jesus gave an answer to that, it seems to be something that we don't sort of learn. Mm. Um, and also, many people with disabilities or their parents. Uh, often thought of as oh you you must God must have chosen you because you're strong you're some sort mm. of saint and there's all all of those and more. What have you found uh, in, in in that space in churches that has been maybe less than helpful? Yeah, I mean a lot of those big issues. Like I think there's quite a lot of things in Scripture that Jesus is not particularly clear on, but he was very clear on mm. this person's disability is not caused by their sin. But consistently, there is this conflation of sin and disability, and that's one of the major issues that Christian theology has, you know, just gone off track there. And while I think uh, we might not think that out loud, still sometimes we question that, uh, and sometimes it comes up in our preaching, even in the way that we use texts when we're thinking about is is the disability in this case in this gospel account? Uh, are we using it as a metaphor for sin? I've heard a number of sermons and I'm just like deeply uncomfortable by the way that that's been used as a metaphor, like healing. It's also transformation of the person. And and often we're, we're doing that inadvertently as preachers, but it, it does come out. It's something to watch for. But like you say, there's this, on the one hand, you're either a sinner. And if it's not that, you're a saint. You're somehow especially virtuous. And that doesn't leave space for people to go, today I'm hating it. Today I'm really struggling with mm. with my body, or today I'm really struggling with what it is mm. to parent this child. Yes. Uh, that painting them into that. Another theme that's been, been quite an issue in Christian theology is is a kind of charity that's segregationist. So it's it's othering, where I'm going to help you from my position of power and in the hierarchy. I'm going to stoop down and help you, and aren't I a great person because of that? Yeah. And I certainly have no issue with charity in, in the way that's kind of, you know, received as a, perceived as a grace. But where it's othering, it's particularly problematic. We can sometimes feel quite good about ourselves because we've done a certain thing. It's still, um, it's still maintaining that boundary between this, this us and them. Mm-hmm. And I think that really comes down to, and it still pervades actually uh, a, a lot of the moves. Like churches are making a lot of great moves towards inclusion and accessibility. Uh, even just the idea that you have to be able to physically get in the building. You know, that's still taken a lot of work for for those churches that have historical buildings in particular. But sometimes we can think, oh, haven't we done well? We've, you know, we've put mm-hmm. a ramp in. Uh, we've made a space for that. You know, the, the, the children who are a bit noisy can go over there and, and that kind of thing. But um, there's a great quote from Brian Brock. He writes in Wondrously Wounded that all the ramps and lifts in the world are a poor substitute for open hearts. As hearts hardened to otherness radiate rejection and resistance, even in physically accessible public places. 
Lovely quote. Yeah. And so I think the call for us is to go beyond accessibility and inclusion towards an understanding of hospitality that is um, where we, we are hosting, but also being hosted by people with disabilities, where, where true belonging is experienced. And that's, um, it's more challenging because it's more about the heart than it is just about the things that we, we might rearrange the chairs to make the you know, aisle yes. wider so a wheelchair can get down there. Yes, that's right. Yeah, so at CBM we've been developing some study resources for churches and one of the themes we're using is moving from exclusion to exclusion but then also then moving from inclusion to full belonging. Mm-hmm. And I've had a number of conversations uh, with people with disabilities looking at what, you know, what does that actually mean? Um, and part of that, of course, is, is genuine friendship. Mm. Uh, and as you say, not just service, because that can be, I mean, it can be a way of, uh, I mean, the word pity has been, uh, mm. can be sort of positive or negative, but in many ways it's, it is it is often elevating yourself at the same time as, as taking pity on someone else. And and that, that whole question of getting, getting past that to, to genuine friendship is, is really, really crucial, yeah? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I was really convicted about this while I was doing my study. So I did my PhD part-time while I was um, having kids and, and pastoring a church with my husband and uh, when we used to live in Timaru. And so I had a, a, we had a person in our church who had Down syndrome, and I thought – I was doing a pretty good job of including her on a Sunday. And during a service, I would often pick her up to get her there. I would uh, drop her off if she needed it. You know, I'd spend time with her during the service. She'd stand with me. Um, you know, if it was her birthday, we'd make a big deal out of it. But I realized one day, I read a, um, some of John Swinton's writing on this, that I was never choosing her for friendship. I wasn't choosing her company to spend time with her outside of a Sunday. And so, and I was deep, I thought, oh, oh, it's just one of those moments when, you know, your heart's exposed and you're like, oh. And, and so I did, yeah, I said, okay, do you want to go out for a coffee or a hot chocolate? And, and for a start, it was, I was, it was quite difficult because I was used to, you know, going out for coffee, pastoral coffees with people and you talk about things, you talk about ideas. And, you know, I, I talked about things with my friend, uh, with Megan, and, but it was different and I was always trying to like move at a different pace. And after, you know, a period of time of, of doing this regularly, I just began to love the way that we could sit together and have a laugh and just enjoy, you know, go for a drive and sing some songs. And it moved from something that I was doing for her to something that I was doing uh, for us, but I'll be honest, a lot for me as well. It was, uh, I think, especially as a person in ministry, she she was to me the greatest expression of what it is to be loved without someone expecting something back from you. And it was a, a beautiful ministry. But I really had to face the fact that while I was including her quite well, unless I was choosing her company, I wasn't really being a friend. And that is quite a different thing to offer and to enjoy. Yeah, being sought out and, and being missed when you're not there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, not just tolerated in a service. So uh, it's not too disruptive if this, you know, someone with an intellectual disability, you know, making vocalizations or whatever, we often think about, oh, how could we accommodate that and the disruption in the mm-hmm. service? That's so far from, oh, I'm choosing to have, to spend time with you. I'm, I'm choosing that that your contribution is here. And, and then also I'm going to receive from you as well. I'm not just offering things to you. I'm going to receive from you. Yeah, 
yeah, yeah. And do do you find that um, the the friendship aspect and the the inclusion accessibility aspect somehow sort of reinforce each other? So, for example, um, just last week uh, at church, um, there's there's a woman we have in our church who is blind, and she has a little kid, and has uh, occasionally the obviously needs to leave. You know, you need to leave church, but you can't find your kid. It's scary for a mother, yeah. um, and also. And what, one of the interesting things is that she spoke up and was talking about how she was trying not to impinge on anyone else. Um, and someone else just spoke up afterwards, actually in tears, and said, look, I, I hear what you're saying, but this is the wrong way around. You shouldn't be having to do that. And and we had, we'd actually had that conversation initially because I, I, I'm friends with this woman and we had we had talked it through. And so we learned more about what was not working mm. in the accessibility side of things because of, of that friendship. And so, yeah, so it seems like it's something that. Yeah, it is really yeah. important. And as part of it is giving voice to people or allowing mm-hmm. people's voices to be heard so that they get to have a say on what is good for mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. You know, one yes. of the issues is often we think to ourselves, okay, so what's going to be good for this person? Right, we'll do that. But haven't actually taken the time to ask them, you know, what what does it look like to be included? Is it better if we come and offer you communion, you know, in your seat so you don't have to move up? Or actually, is that going to feel othering for you, like you're being excluded? And and should we just be more patient for you to to come to the front if that's, you know, part of the liturgy? Even coming down to, uh, we talked before about prayer, you know, it's such a temptation to assume that we know what someone Mm -hmm. wants uh, when we're praying for them, but asking, how can I pray for you? I often think of of Jesus and and Bartimaeus, who you know he's painted in the scriptures as this model mm. disciple. He recognizes Jesus as Messiah. He casts off his cloak. He's he's not going to be held quiet, and he comes to Jesus. And Jesus doesn't assume. He says, "What do you yes. want me to do for you?" He's that exactly. uh, Bartimaeus is given agency. He gets to have a say, and and that is so so crucial when we're making these decisions about what we're going to do in church. And I think having the courage to be curious. Mm-hmm. There's inevitably going to be times to say, you know, what would be ideal is it that we could have this kind of space or this kind of thing or whatever it is, but the limitations of our space and our budget mean we, mm-hmm. we can't go that far, so we can only do this or, or whatever it is. Uh, but being honest about that, being curious yeah. enough, uh, really listening, mm-hmm. having space to hear like the uncomfortable truths, uh, which obviously happened in that conversation, which is so good to be actually saying that stuff out loud rather than just assuming that we know. Mm. Yes, yeah, you've touched on a couple of really important things. One of them is just, yeah, to have to have the courage uh, because some people may well just feel uncomfortable. They don't quite know what to say mm. uh, and often will go around the edges and talk mm. to someone else, which, of course, is not uh, including. But then also, yeah, just the fact that who is the person who knows the most about what will work for them? Absolutely, it's the person with a disability. And, of course, the disability movement has this this mantra of nothing about us without us, yeah. which is really crucial for that, uh, that empowerment and the fact that all these initiatives should be owned and developed by people with disabilities. But I was at, um, I was at a Pacific Disability Conference earlier on this year, and they were moving much more into nothing without us. Because it's not just the things that are about us that can we can be left behind it, but actually, um, you know, societal issues in, as a whole, 
we want to have a voice in as full community members, which yeah. I thought was a, a really beautiful move. Yeah, that's really good. And and part of the um, well, part of the difficulty there is the importance of recognizing that people with disabilities are not just one group of people, mm-hmm. all the same. Uh, there's diverse voices, as you would expect with any people group. And what one person needs is different to what another person needs. So we can't go, you know, oh, this is what this child with autism needs because that's what other children with autism have needed. The, you know, there's remarkable diversity there and what, what's actually going to support that person towards, you know, full entry into the community. So really, like, it's it's a hard work of listening and often a lot of time does need to be given to it. But it's really important that the burden of that is not on the person or the family who's already carrying the burden of living with that disability. You know, Mm -hmm. it's not up to them to make themselves fit or not, like you say, not impinge on everyone else. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think, you know, the the Christian community is called to be uh, cruciform. So, you know, serving one another Mm -hmm. and genuinely loving one another. And and this is one way that we can express that, which, you know, we should be doing that so well. It's a witness to Mm -hmm. the world, but it's... Mm -hmm. We don't see as many people with disabilities in Christian communities. And I think it's not just because they've all been miraculously healed. It's because just it does, it's difficult. Yes, exactly. And it's easier in the end if you're, if you're the one having to make the, the, the difficult steps towards coming and you're not being met, then to just not, not bother in the end. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. On the towering hillsides of Nepal, Dinesh was born with only one leg. He couldn't walk, run, play games or go to school. His loving family worried for his future. It doesn't have to be this way. For just $1 a day, you can transform a child's life. Call CBM Christian Blind Mission on 0800 772264 or visit cbmnz.org.nz. Um, look, I've really, I've really enjoyed how we've talked quite a lot about um, disability. Uh, I, I need to, I need to watch that I don't um, draw this with my hands because it's a, it's not a visual medium uh, that we're doing right now. But um, theology of disability, in many ways, we're sort of looking at how it's um, contained within more of a theology of humanity. Mm. Uh, that idea of, um, you know, disability is something that is, if you like, an imperfection. And yet we are all imperfect. So we, we have a we have a shared humanity there. But then you've also touched on earlier on around that whole question of what does with the with the idea of the redeemed body that perhaps um, you know it's not perfection actually. Yeah. Or what do we mean? What do we mean by perfection? And, and I've, um, you know, often had conversations with people when you're you're doing a PhD. So what's that about? And I remember once saying to a woman, well, it's, it's about imagining what the resurrection body might be like for a person with a disability. And she said, well, perfect. Like that Mm. just answered the question. Why are you spending so much time trying to answer this question? And I said to her, so what do you, what do you mean by that? And she was absolutely stumped. But often what people mean when they say, well, perfect, is they mean something, well, like normal, really. Yeah, well, like me. Like me. And something within that, then, you know, if you think of it like a statistical range of, mm. of variation, something in the middle of the bell curve, which is not, you know, we think of the abundant creativity of our God. 
and the, yeah. the glorious yeah. diversity that he creates. Why would we just want the middle of the bell curve? Yeah, that's uh, but biblically, when when there's, there's talk about perfection, what it, does it mean to be made perfect? It's The word there is teleos, so it's more about getting at your telos, the end purpose, the idea of this mature, maturation or completion of that for which you were designed. It's quite different to thinking about perfection as being uh, free from aberration or, you know, like, you know, this is a perfectly painted wall and there's no spots on it, it's smooth as. That's, that's not what perfection is like. It's about coming to this fulfillment. And so when we think about our bodies being perfected, I don't think we should expect that they're all going to be, well, even coming down to like an aesthetic ideal of what the you know female or the male body should look like that's been presented to us by the media, which is inevitably young and you know it's different body types, all those kinds of things. Uh, why should we expect that it's going to be like that? Why should we expect that it's going to be normal, let alone you know that certain aesthetic? It's much more about I think living into that. Um, yeah, that 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 end for which we were designed, that kind of completion, and which is is much more about love, isn't it? Certainly more than any kind of aesthetic or, or biological ideal. Yeah, actually, you reminded me of. Uh, I'm not going to try and remember his name because I'll probably get it wrong. But one of the early church fathers saying the glory of God is a human being fully alive. So mm. really talking about the idea of, of flourishing and and. I can fully, I, I, I do not see why someone with a disability can't be fully alive. So then, yeah, so whatever perfection may mean for now or for um, post-resurrection, yeah, it can't, it can't mean that, um, you know, you're only fully alive if you, like you say, in the middle of the bell curve. Mm, um, mm. It must, must mean uh, a whole range of things, which is, it really is the glory of God, right? The, the creativity, the abundance of the different, forms of life in the world and how it is so possible to be so different even if you're human mm. you think across the the human cultures how incredibly diverse they are and yet it's all an expression of the divine spark within us yeah yeah absolutely and i think you know there does have to be changed the the experience that of of disability and an impairment that limit flourishing so where mm -hmm. shame and stigma and discrimination like that has got to be fixed made new mm -hmm. in the new creation mm -hmm. but that can be fixed by the way that we relate to one another the way we perceive each other that that can be the point that's whether something's fixed not the body but also i think similarly if we're expecting the renewal of creation that the the way that that diverse embodiment, so what's actually different about the person's body or their mind and the way it's functioned, that can be the experience of that can be changed. So there isn't pain, for example, or there isn't, um, you know, some kinds of functional limitations by the yeah. renewal of all creation. Yeah. And so when we think about, you know, Jesus heals a lot of people with disability. Well, what, why did he do that if, if, if that's part of it? It's often, you know, what people think of. And I know I would say that... Um, just working within the limits of the old creation as things you know are right now that's just the easiest way for god to promote or for jesus in that moment to promote the flourishing of that person was to heal them but it is really important to recognize the way that when jesus heals someone he doesn't just attend to the medical issue it's often yes. about the the restoration of that person into the community into yes. relationships go and show yourself for the priest and there's this shift between Okay, that's you've been you've been made clean, and what does it look like for you to be healed or to to be in a really holistic sense that it looks like 
there's healing and there's salvation, but it's it's not just oh now I've fixed your body, everything's mm. changed. It's now yes. it's you're restored to community, you're restored in relationship with God, restored in relationship with creation. That's right. All those all those those parts of us, and again, that sort of circles back to that that idea of uh, we're not just some sort of little tiny bit of us, like the soul. It's all of those yeah. uh, parts of us um, are part of uh, the restoration and God's redemption. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maya, it's been amazing to chat to you. Um, I wonder if there's is, is there anything else that maybe came up either in your PhD or since as you've engaged with people in your own faith community that, that you, you want to highlight? I think the one thing that I want to highlight is the way that thinking about these issues and, and taking steps towards them, they are they're profoundly countercultural in, in, it, in the sense that it's kind of, you know, pushing against some of the messages of the world, especially Western modernity is, is saying to us, the way that it confronts the flesh, so the brokenness of my humanity, to love others who are different to me, to, you know, it's to evaluate people, not by human standards, but to see people the way that, that God does it. I think it's something that we need to be very intentional about. We're not going to fall into this accidentally. And so to, I think ex- to expect a bit of challenge uh, in our communities, in our, our own hearts, because we need to be confronting these issues. I think, you know, I think they're part of the powers of this age. And mm. and so I think there is a, like a, a prophetic call to that, which is it's not just about disability. Like that is is crucial but I think the way that we, we push against some of the, the factors uh, that would want to really constrain flourishing for people with disabilities and Christian communities, that has a whole lot of flow-on effects to the way that what it is for the rest of us mm. to be uh, dependent and to, you know, like I was saying it's, at the beginning, it's if we're lucky, we'll live long enough to experience some kind of disability mm. And it's different to having a chronic disability, but it's it's largely similar. And so this is part of the human experience yes. that we need to be, yeah, living in light of that and living in light of it in the way that, that Christ shows us to. Yes, and I, I concur with you around uh, the, the prevalence of that of the thinking in Western mm-hmm. modernity uh, from an international development perspective. Um, so I've recently been in Nigeria and... Uh, you you can't you couldn't get away from disability in in those communities. People in poverty are more likely to acquire a disability, but also if you have a disability, you're more likely to be in, in poverty. Um, but in the West, it's possible for a, a lot of people to have such a sanitized mm. experience that they they don't come across disability as much for a start. Yeah. But also, it is kind of swept away as something that's almost an irritation on our march mm. towards perfection and to to actually you know be be part of christian communities that resist that yes uh, and bring those the opportunities to share our humanity and our brokenness yeah. uh, together in a community to me that mirrors what i saw happening much more organically in, in nigeria and it mm. is like you say it is the human experience and it has been we're we're the anomaly in many ways mm. yeah yeah, and that, that that experience means that we think that we should be able to do away with disability. We should be able to not see it. You know, we'll compartmentalise it to different parts of society, and we should be able to control our lives. But that's it's just not how really how things really are, and it's it's not good for us 
to pretend that either, I think. We need to live into the reality that we are dependent creatures and, and that is a gift to the development of community amongst us. Yes, absolutely. Amen. Well, thank you so much, Maya. It's been amazing to have a chat to you. I wish you well for the rest of your day and uh, God bless you. Oh, thanks, Maria. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening. For more information about CBM, find us online at cbmnz.org.nz. For more great podcasts, go to baptist.nz slash podcasts.